Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. We're going to continue our series today uh, on the Christian's Code of Conduct. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7 is what is commonly known in theology as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it starts out with the Beatitudes and... A lot of people think that at the end of the Beatitudes, when the, be- the last Beatitude is, is stated there, that the Sermon on the Mount has come to an end, but it hasn't. Actually, Jesus sat down and talked with the disciples. The Bible said He went up into a mountain away from the multitude, so there was a multitude at the bottom of the mountain. Jesus had a choice to make. I can either go down there and be a superstar and preach to the multitudes or I can do something even more valuable and pour myself into these 12 and see what happens. And so Jesus did both, obviously. He ministered to the multitudes and He ministered individually to people. But in this particular Sermon on the Mount, there wasn't a great big multitude there. It was Jesus doing training, discipleship training to the people that were there with Him up in the mountain. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about verses 17 through 20 in Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 20. We've dealt with up to this point, we've dealt with the Beatitudes, we've dealt with the fact that Jesus wants us to be salt and we've also talked about that Jesus wants us to be light. And today we're going to talk about Jesus addressing the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room was Moses' law. Well, what about Moses' law? And so today... We're going to talk about Jesus as He addressed the law and grace. Let's pray. Father, we come to You now in the wonderful name of Jesus and we just thank You that we have the opportunity to be able to gather together here and to learn from You, from Your Word. Touch me to be able to effectively communicate Your Word today. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear our hearts to understand and receive, that our understanding would be enlightened, that we would find the practical nuggets that we need this week to live out our faith for you. And Father, we give you praise, and everyone said, Amen. Verse number 17, the Bible said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus had just talked to them about being blessed and about being salt and light. Jesus felt the need now to begin to clarify His relationship with the law of Moses and the prophets. Because Jesus, now you have to understand that when Jesus was walking the earth, when He was doing His ministry, His three and a half years of ministry, Jesus started in ministry when He was 30 years old and for three and a half years He walked the face of the earth. 
to fulfill the will of his father. All during that time, even though he came to bring about a new, what we would call a dispensation or a time frame of grace, all during that time, everyone was still under the law. So every single year in the life of Jesus, a lamb was brought to the temple to be slain to cover the sins of Israel until 33 years into the life of Jesus when the lamb that would be slain from the foundation of the world came and he was slain to not just cover the sin of Israel but to cleanse the sins of the entire world. And so here Jesus is, he's talking to Peter and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew and James the son of Zebedee and or Alphaeus, James the son of Alphaeus and all of the different Thomas and all of the different disciples there and he's talking to them and I'm sure in their mind because all of them were raised similar to the way that Jesus was raised. You have to get this picture. They were raised similar to the way that Jesus was raised. None of them went to church and had a service like we do. None of them heard services about confession. None of them heard services about grace. None of them heard sermons or messages about things like this. No, all they heard and all they were familiar with was the law, the law, the law, the law because the law was pounded into them. And Jesus knew that there was a multitude at the bottom of that mountain, but if he was ever to get the message of God's grace into that multitude, that he was not going to be able to stand on the side of a mountain and preach the in-depth word of God to the multitude, but he was going to have to take a select group of people, bring them aside, and start teaching them things pertaining to the law of faith and about righteousness. And so Jesus took these disciples and so he starts talking to them about the law. And the first thing we find out is that Jesus did not come to destroy the law but to fulfill it. In fact, Jesus said that. He said in verse number 17, Don't be thinking that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. So Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. And by the way, I didn't come to, to destroy the prophets. Because there was prophetic words about a Messiah that would come. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill it. In other words, that means that I have come to satisfy it. Now, the law and the prophets foretold three major events. Number one, they foretold the coming of the Messiah. So what Jesus was saying to them was, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. I am the Messiah. Did you know that there are approximately 330 prophecies in the Bible concerning Christ, the law, and the prophets? Places like Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Excuse me. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 15. Verses 18. Verses 19. Places like Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 through 12. There are prophecies concerning Christ, the Messiah. The second uh, thing that, that the law and the prophets foretold was not just the coming of the Messiah, but they also foretold the coming of the kingdom of God. Now listen to me very closely, okay? The coming of Jesus is different than the coming of the kingdom of God. But there could never be the coming of the kingdom if Jesus had not come as the Messiah. The kingdom is God's system and God's ways of doing things. 
Pastor Michael touched it this morning. In fact, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, he read that scripture, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. So when we see about seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then when we understand that the kingdom is God's system and God's ways of doing things, that means before I try to figure things out on my own, then I need to look at the way God would do things. I need to look at the way the system that God has in place. In the world today, we have a system of work for what you get. In the kingdom, we have the system of belief for what you can get. The just shall live by faith. Everything that we receive, we receive by faith. And so the prophets not only foretold the coming of the Messiah, but when we say that the prophets foretold the coming of the kingdom, what we're talking about is the prophets foretold a brand new, better way to live. That's coming. That's what they said. That's coming. So in other words, we're not going to have to live under the law anymore. We're going to be able to live under the precepts of the kingdom of God. Jesus was also preaching and prophesying to them that the fulfillment of that prophecy was now at hand. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, the Bible says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God when he was about 30 years old and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. That's what the scripture says. That's not my interpretation of it. That's exactly what the scriptures say. Jesus said the time is fulfilled after John was taken and cast into prison and Jesus stepped into his ministry right after he was baptized in the river Jordan is when they grabbed John the Baptist and put him into prison right after John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So what Jesus was saying there was we are standing on the threshold of the, of the prophets being fulfilled. We're standing on the threshold of a brand new day. I think it's important for us to understand that God is into new things. God likes to do new things. And so Jesus was saying this, and then he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. When Jesus made those statements was at the beginning of his ministry. So Jesus spent three and a half years preaching that message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus preached it everywhere he went. He demonstrated his preaching and his teaching with signs and with wonders and with miracles. He, he showed the power of God. He, he, he let them experience the power of God. He talked to them about what was going to happen when he was ascended. He told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father and that they would receive power after that the Holy Ghost had come upon them. He was telling them things are changing. Things are changing. There's something new that's happening. Things are changing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Prophets have prophesied about this and they've said that this was going to happen and now here we are in this three and a half window of the life of Jesus we see the beginning or the birth of the kingdom of God. 
the third thing that the prophets prophesied and foretold was that the establishment of a new and a better covenant for the people of God was on the horizon. When Jesus died on Calvary and shed His blood almost 2,000 years ago, when He said, it is finished, that covenant went into effect. So Jesus didn't just come to continue prophesying. That's why we can't say, a lot of people say, well, He was just a good prophet. No, 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 no. Jesus is the central figure of all Christianity. He was the only begotten Son of God. Calendars today are based on His coming and His ascension. Because His entire life, His 33 and a half years, the short 33 and a half years that Jesus lived so affected humanity that nothing remains the same. Nothing. Nothing. So the prophets foretold it. The prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah, number one. The prophets also foretold the coming of the kingdom of God and they foretold the establishment of a new and a better covenant for the people of God, which I like to call... Grace. Now let's look at what one of the prophets, Jeremiah, said about this. Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31. Here's what he said. He said, Behold, the days come. He's talking about when Jesus comes. He said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The house of Israel, Israel is interpreted blessed and Judah is interpreted Praise. Now that's significant. You've got to understand. Okay? He said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. So he was saying, I'm going to make a covenant with Israel and with Judah that is totally different than the covenant that I made with them when they came out of Israel or when they came out of Egypt. Now I think there's something that is very significant here that we need to pay attention to. Number one, there are different anointings for different seasons in your life. There are different covenants for different times in your life. The covenant that brought them out of Egypt was not the covenant that was necessary at this point of their life for, to, to project them into the future. That was over. That was done. Thank God He set us free. Now, let, now let's bring it down to where we live. Thank God Jesus died on Calvary. Thank God I gave my life to Him. Thank God my sins are gone. Thank God He washed me. He cleansed me. He set me free. But what now? So many churches are built around winning people to Jesus. And we are too. We try to win people to Jesus every single day. Everything that we do has something to do with trying to win someone to Jesus. But after someone gives their life to Jesus, what then? What then? And that's where most churches drop the ball. They're so into trying to win people to Jesus that they forget about discipleship. And they forget about teaching people, you don't have to live like you used to live. You can live in the blessing of God. You can live in the favor of God. You can live in the forgiveness of God. Now, this is how you do it. You have to work the Word. Because if you, if you don't work the Word, the Word will work if you work the Word. But it won't work if you don't work it. It can't work if you don't work it. 
you got to work the Word. What does it mean when I work the Word? Well, I'm glad you asked. It means that you think the Word. It means that you mutter the Word. It means that you roll it over in your mouth. It means that you read the Word. It means that you study the Word. And when the time comes, you take the Word of God and you match it up against the challenges that you're facing in your life at the time and you speak the Word of God over those situations and you trust God and you believe God and you let the Word work by faith on those situations and see what will happen. That's working the Word, when we work the Word. So what Jesus was saying here, or what the prophet was saying here, God was speaking through the prophet, and He said, you know what? He said, I'm going to bring a different covenant, but it's going to be a totally different covenant than what we had before. In other, and He said in verse number 32, they didn't respect the covenant that we had anyways. Then verse number 33 says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So He begins to explain it. After those days saith the Lord, After the days of the new covenant, here's what he said. I will put my law in their inward parts. Where was the law right now? When when this was being written, where was the law? It was on the outside of men. In scrolls, in the ark. It was on the outside of men. But Jesus or God, was prophesying through, uh, through Jeremiah here and he was explaining this new covenant and he said, I'm going to take this law and I'm going to put it in their inward parts and I'm going to write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now look at this, verse 34. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Later on in Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to be talking about, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13, we're going to be talking about how that that covenant is confirmed. Now, Jesus taught the disciples that this is the law that is coming, which is grace. This is what's coming. And when all of this is fulfilled, then we can shift those gears. But he said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 18, Verily I said to you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. So what Jesus was doing, Jesus was telling the disciples, this is what's getting ready to happen, but, but you've got to wait for just a few, a few years, a couple of years. you just got to wait for a little bit. In other words, be patient. In your patience possess ye your souls. In other words, when you're being patient, that you know, soul's seat of the mind and the will and your emotions. And when you're being patient, sometimes it can kind of drive you crazy. But if you say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you and I'm going to believe you, then that'll capture your heart and your mind. And so Jesus was saying to them right here, he was saying, you know, he said, I'm teaching you these things, but you can't run off this mountain right now and start running through that multitude down there and tell them we're no longer under the law, we're under grace. Why? Because the lamb had not yet been slain. Because Jesus had not yet been sacrificed. He had not yet been crucified on Calvary. 
So he taught that. And then he also taught in verse number 19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what he was saying was how a person continues to respond to the law is going to affect their place in the kingdom of God until grace comes. Now, all of this truth shines the light on the necessity of the coming, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the exaltation of Jesus to God's right hand. So Jesus is teaching all of these things, and then he's saying, you got to wait. You have to wait because I have come, but I must, be, I must die, I must be buried, I must resurrect, I must ascend, and I must be exalted to the right hand of the Father. Now, why was it important for him to be exalted? Now, don't miss this point. It's because someone had to be in place to appropriate grace. Now, I want to pause right here for just a few moments. I want to hit this pause button. I want to talk just a little bit about this grace concept that's taken over the church. I've been in this thing a long time, 41 years now. It's been 41 years since I preached my first message. So I've kind of been around a little bit when it comes to the church, and I've seen the trends come and the trends grow. And what, what happens is people reach and they'll grab a particular subject, and all of a sudden that subject just completely takes over the church. And it gets the church all out of whack because, uh, just like right now, everywhere you go you're hearing grace, 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 grace. I believe in grace too. But I also understand that grace is God's ability to do in you and for you what you cannot do in yourself or for yourself. It is not your permission to go do whatever you want to do and say, well, I'm under grace. I'm going to make it to heaven. Can I preach? I mean, just within the last two weeks, I've had people make statements, well, you just got skin deep grace or... You know, you know all this. You know why? Because I wouldn't give them a pass on how they were acting. You cannot purchase your salvation. It was already bought and paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. But if you're going to continue to live for God, it's going to cost you something. Hello. If you're going to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, and, and, and a disciple is a fully developing and devoted follower of Jesus Christ, there's going to be things that God's going to deal with your heart about. And there's things that you're going to have to lay down and other things you're going to have to pick up. And some of the things that you have to lay down are going to be things you don't want to lay down because your flesh is going to be screaming, but I won't, but I won't, but I won't, but I won't. And all the while, you got all these grace preachers over here saying, well, just go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. You're in grace. You're in grace. You're in grace. You can just do whatever you want to do. Just go right ahead and do it. Let me tell you something. There's going to be a whole lot of people standing before God one day, and God's going to look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. And they're going to say, but I was in grace. Grace is not your excuse to do whatever you want to do and still think you're going to make it to heaven. Grace is powerful. Grace is powerful without the grace of God. 
Without the grace of God, we can't make it to heaven. It was because of the grace of God that I stand here today. There are things that I could not overcome on my own that except if it wasn't for the grace of God, there's no way. The Bible said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It's important for us to understand that. It's important for us to understand that there's a balance when it comes to grace. Just like people years ago contaminated the faith faith message, now people today are contaminating the grace message. Well, I'm a grace preacher. I can't remember a day when I wasn't a grace preacher. Well, I'm a faith preacher. I can't remember a day when I wasn't a faith preacher. Well, uh, uh, you're you're one of them prosperity preachers. I've, I've preached prosperity my whole entire life. It's in the Word. Well, all you want to do is talk about healing. No, no, maybe that's all I would like to talk about at times, but that's not what the, all that I talk about. This, this ministry and, and the, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just built on healing. It's not just built on sanctification. It's not just built on redemption. It's not just built on justification. References to angels. I did a seven-week series on angels among us. People thought I was an eschatology expert. I told them I preached everything I knew about angels. I left it all out there. I'm not an expert. I just preached what I knew. Just preached what I knew. It's not all about angels. Everything is all about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And when you accept the message of Jesus, then you're accepting a balanced message from the Word of God. So... So someone had to be in place to appropriate grace. Grace doesn't condemn, sin condemns. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is a difference between conviction and condemnation. And sometimes when we live and we experience the grace of God, we can sense a conviction and we can misinterpret it as condemnation. Here's how you can tell the difference. Condemnation feels, makes you feel bad. Conviction makes you draw close to God. Conviction draws you to God. Condemnation is always looking for the God that has the big club in His hand to knock you over the top of the head because I messed up again. So that's the difference. So let's continue on here. that help anybody? just want to clarify that a little bit. All right, so here's the big question today. Did Jesus fulfill the law? Because here we are. He's talking about it here, and so we got to ask, did he fulfill the law? Well, if he did not, then we're still under the law in its strictest form. Well, what does that mean? Just a couple of, couple of things that that means. It means if your child gets pathologically rebellious that you take them out and you stone them to death. Now, I know some of you have wanted to do that with your kids in the past, but I'm, but I'm just telling you it's, it's, not, it's, not the best, it's not the best, you know, path to peace. It's just not going to work, okay? But in the Old Testament, if your child was pathologically rebellious, they took them out and they stoned them to death. And if they didn't, then they got stoned. Okay? Uh, another thing. In the, under the old law, women were seen as property. In fact, most men didn't own just one. They owned two, three, four, however many they could afford. They owned them. 
They could look at, under the old law, they could look at a woman and they could say three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And it didn't matter how long that she had been married to him, she had to walk out the door with nothing but the clothes on her back. That's the old law. That's the old law. I don't know anybody that would like to live that way. I mean, sometimes I can be a brat, but there's absolutely no way I'd ever want to do that to anyone. And this is a real big one. I mean, if we're still under the law, we can't eat pork or duck. (laughs) That's just wrong right there. That's just wrong, isn't it? I mean, my goodness, that's just wrong. Thank God we're not, we're not under the law. But if we're still under the law, then uh, and I, I'm just going to touch this and just move on. But if we're still under the law, never, I'm not even going to touch that one. Okay. So, if he did not, then he failed. If Jesus did not fulfill the law, if he didn't satisfy the law, if he didn't fill the law up, then he failed. Okay? But if he did, then he accomplished God's purposes And we should not be surprised to find a new law or a new covenant based on grace governing God's people today. Thank God I can have a ham sandwich. Bacon is man candy, I'm telling you. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God for that. Some of you ladies need to say, thank God. He fulfilled the law. Now he can't look at me and say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. He's got to keep me. If he says, I divorce you, then I'm going to take the dog and I'm going to take the car and I'm going to take the house and I'm going to take... I'm just, I'm kidding around, guys. I mean, gals. Whoever, guys and gals. Okay. So the Bible says in John 17 and verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. So here is my answer to the question, did Jesus fulfill the law? Now we talked about if he did not, what it was, and if he did. Okay, here's my answer, and this answer is based on three biblical observations with Scripture, and I'm going to give those observations to you. And this is what you can tell people. This is what you actually tell an Orthodox Jew that Jesus is the Messiah. You could prove this to them that Jesus is the Messiah. Number one, my observation number one is that Jesus had to have fulfilled the law because the priesthood changed. The priesthood changed. Now, if therefore, Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse number 11, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Aaron was the beginning, he was the part of the Levitical priesthood, he was the beginning of the priesthood. And so it says if the perfection were by, by the, the, the Levitical priesthood, people were under the law, why would we need to do anything different? The problem was that the old law was flawed. Now look at verse number 12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave utterance at the altar. Some people say that Jesus was of the tribe of Levi, but I think he was of the tribe of Judah. The tribe of praise. And it's based on this passage of Scripture right here for for the Bible said that he was of another tribe. 
There were 12 tribes to Israel. He was another tribe. The Levitical priesthood, the Levites, were the ones that were the priests. The Bible said, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. And then verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. That's what the scriptures say. It was evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. This was the problem that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had with Jesus. They thought he had to be a Levite. Because if you are a Levite, you are bound under law. But God said, I'm going to do something totally different than Israel has ever seen before. I'm going to handpick a maiden out of a different tribe. I'm going to cause the Holy Spirit to come upon her and she will conceive in her womb and she will bear the man-child Jesus, the God-child Jesus, and give birth to him and he'll come out of the tribe of Judah. And when he comes onto the scene, some will celebrate him and some will hate him. Some will want to dance with him and others will want to try to crucify him. Isn't that the way it is today when God tries to do something new? We got some people, see that spirit is still in the church today. We got some people today, they say, well, I want the power of God to move. Oh, I want him to move. I want him to move. I want him, but but they want him to move their way. Their way, their way, the way that God used to move, the way that he used to move, that's the way God's going to move because that's the way that it used to be when God all the time is saying, I want to do something totally different. In fact, I'm going to pull a praiser out of a brand new tribe. We're going to establish the work of the Lord in this generation. We're going to establish the work of the Lord in the earth and it's going to be based on praise, not the law. It's going to be based on praise. Did you know that praise can help you break through? For it goes on, and the Bible said, It's evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made, look at this, not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. The law has a shelf life. Grace is endless. The law has a shelf life, and and, and grace is, is endless. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So that's number one. The reason that I think Jesus fulfilled the law, Moses, is because the priesthood changed. That's number one. Number two, the second reason that I think that he fulfilled the law is because the law itself was not destroyed, but it was fulfilled and replaced by a new and a better covenant. We find that in Hebrews 7, 18 and 19, for there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. So in other words, what has been working is not working anymore. So we're going to go ahead and annul it because it is no longer Profitable. The law has a shelf life. It's no longer profitable. Verse 19, here's the reasoning behind it. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. So who was the better hope? It was Jesus. 
The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a, of a better hope did. And when, and when we attach to Jesus, who is the hope of the world, when we attach to Him, then we grow, grow nigh to God. We draw nigh to God. Why? Because He's seated at the right hand of the Father right now, making intercession for you and I. He's in the place to appropriate grace. He's the head of the church. We're, we are the church. We are His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. I explained this on Wednesday night. Therefore, when God exalted Him, He raised up the church at the same time. And so now, positionally, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are walking as humans on this earth with God inside of us and the power of God inside of us. But our identity is found in Jesus Christ who now sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I. Therefore, we are God's representatives on the earth who have access to the anointing of heaven. The world today is counting on us getting our hook up. They're counting on us to step into our sonship. They're counting on us to step into our place of identity with Jesus Christ. They couldn't do it under the old law. They couldn't do it under the old law. Things had to change. There was a new and a better covenant. Hebrews 6 verses, Hebrews 8 verses 6 through 13. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. This is the Bible. This is the Bible. This is not an interpretation. This is the Bible. Okay? Verse 7, For if that first covenant, which is the law, had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of blessing and the house of praise. There we go. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make after the house, with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Sounds like Jeremiah chapter 31, doesn't it? So what was happening here now in Hebrews, in, in Jeremiah chapter 31, the prophet was prophesying in the book of Hebrews, the writer was saying the day is now here when this is happening. When this is happening. Verse number 11, And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. That's why I think we're going to have global revival. So many people today, they say, well, I just don't know about global revival. I just don't know about that. The Bible said in the last days that times would wax worse and worse and worse. and all that. Well, you know what? That's when revival really happens. When things get tough, people run to God. People run to God. Okay, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. How come he could do that? Verse number 12, how come he could be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities remember no more? How come he could do that? He couldn't do that under the law. Couldn't do it under the law. He was bound by the law to punish. But he can do it now because it's grace. There's mercy, God's mercy and God's grace. 
In verse 13, In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. The third and final reason that I believe that Jesus fulfilled the law. Number one is the priesthood changed. Number two, the law itself was replaced by a new and a better covenant. And number three, and you hear me preach about this a whole lot, and it's because it's something we really need to learn and it needs to become part of our DNA. The reason is because we are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We do not achieve righteousness. We do not earn righteousness. We are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now let's break that down for just a few moments. Number one, the Bible said, Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees were living under the law. They were addicted to the law. The problem with the law is that the law was flawed. And so they're living under the law. They're submitting to the law. They're allowing the law to work on them. This is kind of a little deep teaching this morning, isn't it? Y'all with me? You still with me? I haven't left you in left field, have I? Okay. So here they are. The scribes and the Pharisees, here they are. They're under the law. And, and, and they're trying to live under the law. And the law is flawed. And so then we go on here. And the Bible says, "Ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom we know is God's system and God's ways of doing things. So what he's saying is if you live under the law, you can only get what the law will produce. So there's absolutely no way in the world that you can live under the law and enjoy the benefits of the kingdom at the same time. In order to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom, you have to allow God to shift you into grace. Okay, here's what the Lord whispered to me. Are we ready for this? The law today is still trying to manifest itself in the church as legalism. And when we come to Christ... And we think if I give my life to Christ, well, I can't do this and 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 I just have to live a boring life and all of these types of things. And, you know, I mean, I I grew up in old-time Pentecost and, you know, they shouted and bucked and grunted and danced and and, and did all of their, you know, uh, spiritual calisthenics and things like that, which I'm not finding fault with that. If God wants to shout you, let Him shout you. I mean, some of them wonderful Christian people. Some of them were meaner than yellow-bellied snakes, but others of them were... Others, uh, others of them were very nice and very sweet. And they were serving God the very best way that they knew how. But I heard so many messages on, if you're a man, your hair's not supposed to touch your ears. You're not supposed to have facial hair. You're not, it's not supposed to be blocked in the back. You're not supposed to have uh, short sleeve shirts. It's supposed to just be long sleeve shirts. Women can't wear makeup. They can't wear jewelry. They can't wear pants. They can't, you know, uh, yeah. I, I, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, just... I told my mother, I said, if a barn needs paint, put paint on it. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) sit back down, Charles. I'm not done yet. I got to dig out of this one. (laughs) 
I'm almost through. Come on up, really. I am almost through. But the point, the point that I'm trying to make is there was so much foolishness that was taught and they would just attach, well, the Bible says this and, and the Bible says that and I'm not teaching that we don't live a holy life. And I'm not teaching that we're not to be surrendered to the Lord. And I'm not teaching that we shouldn't allow the Lord to, to guide us. And there are times when God puts personal convictions on us. And that's wonderful. But if my personal conviction is a personal conviction, then that's exactly what it is. It's a personal conviction. And so, so legalism has crept its way into the church today and it used to be, you know, what you wear and all of these types of things when I was growing up. But now... It's a little different than that, isn't it? Now it's a little different than that. Legalism can show up in the forms of ritual. We got to do th- we got to do it like this. We got to we got to open the service with one song. We have to have Pastor Josh get up and tell his pretty little story, which I love. I love those stories. They have to sing their two or three songs. Be done by 9.30 with the worship. Be done by 9.30 with the worship. We have to do that. Okay? And then by 9.45, the preacher's got to get in the pulpit and he can only have 30 minutes. 28 and a half, in fact. Because that's what a television program is. It's 28 and a half minutes because you got to give, you know, the television, you got to give them an, a minute and a half to do commercials on both sides. And so it, 28 and a half minutes, so that's all the longer that you can minister, you can bring. And, and here's what happens is we have become legalistic through ritual. Legalistic through rituals. And, 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 and that has been the death of the church. He said, I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So you're not going to be able to experience the benefits of the kingdom of God in your life unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So how can our righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, we have to be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved it. There's absolutely no way in the world you can work your way into heaven. There's no way in the world you can work your way into receiving the benefits of the kingdom of God. You have to say, Lord, I give my life to you. I want you to make me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when we live that surrendered life, then our righteousness can exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees and we can experience the benefits of the kingdom. Of heaven. So the big question is did Jesus fulfill the law? Sure he did. Sure he did. So the question that we have is what does this mean for me? It means that I no longer live under the mandates of the law but I live the righteousness of the kingdom by faith through grace.
I can experience the benefits of the kingdom by faith through grace. It means that my relationship with God is different than what Abraham's was and that David's was and that Solomon's was and the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah. They were friends of God. But my relationship can excel to the place of becoming a son of God and an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ because Jesus satisfied the law. Because he opened up the ability of God in my life, which is called grace. He opened that in my life. So, so that's what it means for me. And it means that we can go to the Word of God and we can learn a new and a better way to live for God. Why? Because we have a better covenant based on better promises. It doesn't mean that we ignore the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. It doesn't mean that we toss it out. It's just that when we read it, we realize that Jesus satisfied the law. Did you know, there's a lot of people that say, well, we just got to get rid of the Old Testament. Did you know that there are a lot of books in the Old Testament that have nothing to do with the law? So many people say, well, I live in the New Testament. I don't live in the Old Testament. Well, the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All that has the law. Then you get into the Kings. Then you get into the Prophets. Then you get into Psalms and Proverbs and the Major and the Minor Prophets. And it's just full of goodness. All kinds of goodies in there. And it's not antiquated and it's not outdated. The only thing when it comes to the law... We just say, you know what, that was under the law and today I'm under grace. And the principles that operated there, a lot of them translate over and they, and, and they operate the same way under grace. It's like the Ten Commandments. Well, I'm not under the law. Well, you're not going to get saved by living the Ten Commandments, but it's a pretty good rule to live by. Don't kill anybody. Honor your mom and pa. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Don't swear. I mean, it's all there. It's all there. It's a pretty good rule to live by. All right, this has been an in-depth study this morning. Did it help you? Great. Let's stand. Come on. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number four, Jesus. TV. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.